Amen. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for this time together today. Thank you, Father, for, um, first of all, Lord, just a schedule that allows us to come. I know there's other folks who'd love to be here, Father, but they're still at work or got other obligations, Lord, that prevent them. And so, Lord, thank you for the commitment of these, uh, Lord, that are here. Some have been here since the very first class. Others, Father, just join us for the first time tonight. I thank you, Father, that what will take place in this room tonight, Lord, will be heaven and earth coming together, Father, as your Holy Spirit reveals eternal truth to us, Father, not by information, but by uh, means of revelation, Father, that you would reveal stuff to us and things to us and truths to us, Father, that um, we've longed to know and understand, Lord, um, since before we were formed in our mother's womb. So, Lord, we're hungry for you, we're thirsty for you tonight. Father, we have not gathered in this room around Mark Winslet. We've not gathered in this room even, Father, around some concept, but we've gathered at your feet tonight, Lord, for you to teach us, for us to receive your word and for your word, Father, to become engrafted into our souls and literally become a part of our personalities. Lord, renew our minds tonight, recondition our minds with your eternal truth. We thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. amen and amen. Praise God. All right, if you have your Bibles tonight, let's um, begin in uh, the book of James. Uh, we'll begin in James chapter 1. For those of you who are able to stay on uh, Wednesday nights for the sermons, you know we've been in James 1 a lot, but we're going to be down further into James chapter 1 than we have been of late on uh, Wednesday evening. So just to double check myself, we've got the recorder on, we've got the microphone on, and so um, we are, uh, we're good to go. Praise God. All right, so let's just do a quick review. And, and you know, if, if you tire of this, I, 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 uh, I apologize. You know, sometimes I feel a little self-conscious, I guess, when I start reviewing. Um, but there are some things that I think are so important in all of this uh, that we need to hear again and again and again uh, to, to really uh, allow the Word of God to take hold and take root. And then, of course, remember that the Word of God in our hearts is like putting a seed in soil, and then that seed has to be watered. And, and we, we water that seed by hearing that Word repeated again and again and again. So for some, this may be planting. For others, um, it may be watering. But let's, um, let's work our way through some things, um, if we could, very quickly. Um, in a conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus, um, this statement came forth, you must be born again. And Nicodemus was a very educated man, and yet, because he looked at everything from a flesh-first or flesh-only perspective, body-only, body-first perspective, he couldn't comprehend how someone could be full-grown, go back inside uh, his or her mother's womb and be born a second time. And of course, Jesus didn't back down from that statement. He reinforced it by saying, unless you're born of water, which means a physical birth, and of the Spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom. And of course, Nicodemus became frustrated at this point and ultimately asked Jesus a question, how can these things be? In other words, you're confusing me. And Jesus simply said back to him, how are you an instructor of God's people in Israel and you don't understand these things? And of course, the things that Jesus was referring to were the things that were uh, spirit versus or compared to things that are, are flesh. And Jesus made this statement. He said, what's born of the flesh is flesh, but what's born of the spirit is spirit. So when Jesus said that we must be born again, he was not referring to our physical bodies being born a second time. And for that matter, he wasn't even talking about our soul, the part of you that, that um, thinks, feels, and chooses, your mind, emotions, and will. 
He wasn't talking about that part of you being born again, but he was talking about your spirit. And, and your spirit is the real you. So we're working an understanding of these things into um, the concept of salvation. And uh, I'm trusting that every person in this room has gotten saved. I got saved, right? We've been saved. Or however you may communicate that, receive salvation. If you have not received salvation, please do not let your head land on another pillow on planet earth before you call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and receive this gift of salvation that he has for you, okay? So we talk about getting saved, and there's a whole lot of people who have been saved who have no idea what happened to them when they were, right? And so Jesus then says, of course, that God sent his Son in the world so that the world might be saved. So right on the heels of John 3, where Jesus talks about being born again, we see that he came into the world not to condemn the world, but to save a world, rescue a world that was already condemned, right? Now, so <laughs> what is it that Jesus came to save us from? And most people say he came to save us from our sin. And if you said that, you would be right, but it would not be complete because our problems went much deeper than our outward behavior. Because we know, first of all, that thoughts actually drive behaviors. You'll never change what you do until you change how you think, how you feel, and the choices right, that you make, your mind, will, and emotions. So we could say, well, then Jesus came to save us from bad thinking or wrong thinking. And certainly he gave us a right thinking and truth. But our problems went much deeper than even wrong thinking that was driving wrong behavior. Our problems went all the way to the very nature that we possessed. The nature of man. Your nature, my nature, was what Jesus came to save us from. What he came to rescue us from. You see, we were born of a corrupted seed. Amen. And I'm not talking about your mom and daddy. You follow that all, you know. You were born of corrupted seed from your mom and daddy because your mom and daddy was born of corrupted seed from their mom and daddy. And you can follow that all the way back to Noah and then that singular shoot of the earth's family tree up to Adam and Eve. We were all born of corrupted seed. 1 Peter 1.23 says that we've been born again not of corrupted seed but of incorruptible seed, the incorruptible seed of the Word of God which lives and abides forever. So in the same way that you were born physically from seed the first time, when you were born a second time, you were born again. As I love to say over and over and over, this is not a figurative experience. This is a literal experience. In other words, you were literally born a second time in the part that is the real you. And so at that moment, the real you became something that you were not before. You became something that you were not before, and the only way to become what you became that you were not before is to be born a second time from an incorruptible seed. Now, we said this very first class, and now here we are, 30, however many into this, all right? 20, how, what is tonight, by the way? 30. So 31 tonight, all right? So 31 classes into this, we're still saying it, all right? One of the ways that I love to define discipleship is this. Discipleship is finding out who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. When you were born again, you became somebody that you were not. The problem that most people have is they know more about the person they were than the person they became, and so they continue to live like the person that they were instead of the new person that they are. Amen. So you were born a second time of a different seed. And you were born of God. You were born of God's seed, the seed of His Word. 
This is why the Bible says you, uh, you were uh, a, a, a son, a child of disobedience, and um, I'm sorry, a son of disobedience, a daughter of disobedience, and a child of wrath. That word wrath there means damnation, right? Doomed to hell. Notice he doesn't say it was your disobedience. You were a son, a child, a daughter of. You were, you were the offspring of these things because, again, we were born of that seed. But now, you know, we're by nature. I'm, I'm going to get it right here in just a moment. We were by nature children of wrath. That's Ephesians 2. Okay. So 2 Peter 1 says that because we've been born, again, of these exceeding great and precious promises, that we've now become a partaker of the divine nature. So when we were in need of being born again, it's because we had the nature of one bound for damnation. Now that we've been born again, we've been born of a new seed because seed determines nature, right? You can't change an apple to an orange unless you change the seed that produced it, okay? Or vice versa. So we've been born of a new seed and have become a partaker of not just a new nature, but of God's divine nature. His seed produces His nature. Since you were born of His seed, you now have His nature in you. Are you following me tonight? This is really, really, really good news. Really good news. Alright? So, in other words, this is why you're holy. This is why you're blameless. This is why you're above reproach. This is why you've been saved to the uttermost. This is why you're an heir of God. This is why you're a joint heir with Jesus. This is why you have the same fellowship with God the Father as Jesus because you've been given the same right standing with God the Father as Jesus. You have His nature. It's your nature to give. It's not your nature anymore. That's why selfishness doesn't look good on you anymore because it's not... It's not uh, it, it doesn't go with your new nature. Amen. Amen. Now, as we worked our way through these things last week, we began a section in, in our study that's just simply entitled The Power of Seed. And, and it's important for us to look at these things because, again, we've been born again of a different seed, but because we don't have the proper understanding of seed, it doesn't really... In other words, there's, how do I say this? It's like our, our, um, our understanding of these things is superficial or shallow. In other words, how can you understand what being born a second time from a different seed means and, and, and what the implications of it are for your life, future, and eternity if you don't have a good understanding of even what seed really is and how, listen to me please, not how we view it. That's where we get in trouble, right? is looking at these things, well, the way I see it, Pastor Mark, well, listen, thank God for the way you see it, brother, sister, but, but how about let's do something better than that since we have the opportunity to do. How does God see it? We need to see it how He sees it. And because we have His Holy Word and because we have His Holy Spirit, we now have the opportunity to see these things the way He sees them instead of the way we see them. And when we begin to see life the way God sees it, when you begin to see other people the way God sees them, but how about this, when you begin to see yourself the way God sees you, man, you, you, are, you are chopping some wood there. I mean, I don't know if that's a crazy saying, but you're, you're making some, some tremendous progress in a hurry. Alright? Now, we begin to introduce this. I'm still reviewing, reviewing. I'm still reviewing and reviewing, okay? I'm still reviewing for those of you, that's what I was trying to say, um, who were not here last week, okay? So we see that in the power of seed that 
in Hebrews, um, I'll tell you what, let's read James, and then we'll go to Hebrews. Is that, is that good? Okay. So, <clears throat> James chapter 1 is, for that matter, the whole book of James, it's, thank God for it, it's one of the earliest books written of the New Testament. You wouldn't know that because it's so far towards the back of the New Testament. Um, it, it, it's almost like a New Testament version of Proverbs because the book of James is a book of practical wisdom. Practical meaning things that you can read and begin to apply to your life. You know, it's, it's, the, um, it's the book of Proverbs that tells us, you know, that uh, our wrath, uh, verse 20, uh, does not produce God's righteousness. In other words, you can't get mad enough at yourself or somebody else to make them right. All right. But the one verse I want us to look in tonight as we begin is this one. Um, we'll begin at verse 17. It says this, Every good and every perfect gift is from above. By the way, look at me for a minute. Salvation is a gift. Right? That's what Ephesians 2 tells us. Salvation is a gift. And we'll look at this passage a little bit later. So when it says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. And the idea behind variation or shadow of turning is these are sundial terminology. So if you understand how you tell time on a sundial, a sundial is round, has numbers like a clock, has a triangle, and, and, and when the uh, sun is at high noon, in other words, the highest point in the sky, there will be no shadow. Then as it begins to dip down, um, setting in the west, right, it starts creating a shadow, and you can look at that shadow and roughly tell time by it, okay? So when it says there's no variation or shadow of turning, he's saying that God's always at the peak of his glory. Now, it also says every good and every perfect, and that would include the, the, the goodest and the perfectest, um, the best, if you will, gifts that God, gift that God ever gave us, and that's the gift of salvation, the gift of his Son and the salvation that that has produced for you and for me. But notice it says that this gift is perfect, and that word perfect there doesn't just mean without error or without flaw. It means complete. It means complete. Okay, that which has come full circle is teleos, Greek word for perfect translated here. So what is he saying? That the gift of salvation that we have received, as, long as, as, as well as every other gift that God has ever given to us, is a complete gift. It's the whole package. Come on now, you ready for whole package? <laughs> it wasn't just your spirit that was saved, but he made provision for your mind, emotions, and will. And that part of us is being saved. And then one day we'll trade this body in for a glorified model. Amen. This tent in for a permanent dwelling, eternal dwelling. Um, and, um, and that body is already prepared, waiting for you and me to step into it one day in heaven. So he has given us the gift of salvation. It is a good, beneficial, well-pleasing gift. And it is complete. Okay. Now, verse number 18. Of his own will... He brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. Now, there's a few things here because this, again, is a salvation passage. Salvation slash new birth passage. Alright, we've kind of started at a pretty strong pace. Are y'all keeping up? I don't mean to be going so fast, but praise God, I'm excited. Alright, so let's take a breath. Of his own will, he brought us forth. Now, I know that it may be pretty clear what that means, but let's make sure that we state the obvious. Since it was of his own will, this means that he made the decision. He made the choice. I know, probably like me, 
you've made choices before that affected your life, but it was not just your own choice. In other words, other people influenced your choice. Yes? Other people, you know, maybe they helped you make a good choice. I've had people help me make good choices, and I've had, help, I've had people help me make some bad ones, okay? All right. Now, what he's emphasizing here is, and I know this may sound a little bit almost silly because he's God after all, but he's saying that he chose this and nobody else talked him into it. Nobody else influenced him. Nobody else, you know, like swayed him. To, to finally decide, okay, all right, all right, I'll save them already. No, that's not the attitude here. The attitude is, this was God's doings because this was God's choice and no one else influenced Him. Why is He saying that to us? Because He's wanting you and me to understand just how desperately He longs for us and just how much it is that He wanted us. This was His choice. This was His choice. Can I put the part in there, this is the... New Winslet International Translation addendum version, okay? Right? This was my, God speaking, this was my choice, and if you don't like it, that's tough. And that's what he's saying here, right? Now again, why would he say this? He wants you to know how desperately he wants you, but he also wants you to understand that anyone who would bring accusation against the lavish, extravagant gift of salvation that he's given to you, doesn't have a problem with you or anybody else. But they have a problem with Him. They have a problem with Him. When we first moved in this building, somebody asked me, they said, well, who picked out the colors? I said, well, if you don't like them, I picked them. Right? Now, why did I do that? Because I had more than one pastor over the years who weaned out on decisions by blaming them on somebody else. Thought what I'm saying? Who made this choice? Don't look at me. Wasn't me. It was that committee. You got a problem with that. You go to the committee. I don't, if you don't like them, I don't like them either. That's what they're really saying, right? In other words, because they're not bold enough to say. You hear what I'm saying, right? Okay. So what is God saying here? I made this choice. I made it. And if you don't like it, you have a problem with me. You have a problem with God. That's what he's saying here. Now, let's just in our hearts and minds, I'm sure most of you, if not all of you, are familiar with the story. We call it the parable of the prodigal son. It's really a story about a man or a parable about a man who had two sons. And you know, the younger brother went crazy with his dad's inheritance, wasted it all, come crawling back. Dad welcomed him, restored him, threw a feast for him. Older brother, out in the fields, hears the sound of the party, draws close, asks one of the servants what's going on. Your brother's home. Your dad's happy they're having a party. And of course, the older brother is furious, right? The older brother is, what in the world? You know, and so the dad, at great, um, how do we say this, uh, in other words, at great dishonor to himself that his older son won't come. Obviously, it's, ob you know, it's clear to the guests that there's somebody missing here, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm sure none of us have ever been in that position, but you probably know somebody who was supposed to be at an important event and didn't show. Okay, yes, yes. So he didn't show, and it's kind of obvious, and everybody's making excuses. Well, you know, he's working late. That's what it is. Got a new job, working late. He's out on the back, 40. No, I mean, what is a dad supposed to say, right? So finally he gets word, you know, your oldest son's outside, but he ain't coming in. So the dad, at great dishonor to himself, leaves the feast and goes and tries to talk the older brother to coming in. And notice now, it's this son of yours. Not my brother, is how he's talking, right? But here's the point. This older brother can be as mad as he wants to be at his younger brother. But the younger brother did not ask for a feast. 
The younger brother did not ask for a ring. The younger brother did not even ask for a robe or a pair of shoes. All he asked for was the opportunity to work and be fed. That's all he asked for. Are you following what I'm saying? That's all he wanted. He was starving to death. What did he say? I'm not worthy to be a son. I'm not worthy to be accepted. But my dad treats his slaves better than these people are treating me. So I'm going to go see if I can be my daddy's slave and at least be fed for the work that I do. So the older brother has a problem. But who does the older brother really have a problem with? His dad. He has it because of his own will, this father. As a matter of fact, at his own expense, this father brings this younger son back into the family and restores him completely. So the older brother's throwing a fit, but he's acting like his anger is directed towards his younger brother, but he's really angry at his dad because his dad has lavished such grace, such uh, you know, uh, love and, and, and welcoming back into the family on his, on his younger brother. Are you following what I'm saying? So of his own will, let me, one more thing, one more thing, all right, just keeps coming up in my spirit, one more thing, all right. So, just imagine for a moment that you and I are that younger brother, because I don't think that's too far of a stretch for me to imagine. I'm coming home, right? And now I'm going to use my best negotiating abilities to try and negotiate a future contract here with my dad, father, right? Okay, so think with me for a moment, all right? Am I about to ask for the fatty calf? Am I about to ask for a ring? Am I, about, am I about to ask for a robe? I'm not going to ask for any of that, right? In other words, if I'm negotiating my own deal here, I'm going to ask for the barest of minimums, okay? So now, again, just imagine for a moment that me and you have been given the opportunity to negotiate an eternal contract with our Creator, okay? Well, let me tell you something. If I'm negotiating this contract for all of us, if I can keep every one of our rear ends out of hell forever, I think I'm probably going to call that a win, and y'all are all going to be really happy with me as your attorney. You understand what I'm saying, right? Okay, guys, listen. Let me tell you. Woo, it was hard, man. I had to hold my ground. I mean, I, you know, I mean, it was, it was right down to the last minute. But I just want everybody to know, okay, hell is now off the table for every one of us, right? Okay, it's like, yay, right? In other words, we're all excited, right? Because, amen, right? What a negotiator. In other words, I would have never gone in there and said, look, God, um, Father, <clears throat> I can call you Father, right? Okay, yeah, just, unless we have everything that Jesus has with you, we're not negotiating. God, I would have never done that. I would have never said, you either make me an heir of yours and a joint heir with the only begotten and no longer call him only, but call him first. Or the deal's off. So I've never done that. So when it says, of his own will he brought us forth, what he's saying here is, everything he's given to you, everything he's done for you, the position he's put you in, the nature he's given to you, the eternity that he's prepared for you, the new body that waits for you, the blessing that he's now placed upon you, the favor that he's now shown to you, it was his choice to do it, and if you've got a problem with it, devil, you can just... Go jump in the lake of fire. You see what I'm saying here? Of his own will, he did this. And he didn't just do it with the wave of his hand. Of his own will, he brought us forth. We were legally born by what? The word of truth. There it is again. We were born again of the incorruptible seed of the word of God. 
we have been born of His seed. That we might be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. Now, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but I'm prone to do that every now and then, so just follow me for a second, okay? What he's saying here, and this is kind of awkward, at least it is for me the way this is written, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. It kind of brings up for some reason in my mind in Romans where it says, as much as it depends upon you, live at peace with all people. The Bible doesn't usually talk in those kinds of terms, right? I mean, the Bible is, thou shalt not. But now we've got a verse that comes along as much as it depends upon you because the reality of it is you can do everything within your ability to live at peace with someone, but if they don't live at peace with you, there's not going to be any peace. Now, what does that verse have to do with this one? Well, it's kind of the way it's worded. It, it almost sounds like there's some uncertainty here. Yes, you follow what I'm saying? that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Well, that's not really how it's supposed to sound to you. Let me tell you what he's saying. He's saying that we, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, and now we're a creation unlike any other created thing on planet earth. Did you hear me? You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. The word for, for new in 2 in Corinthians 5 there, there's two words for new in the Greek language, okay? One is quantitatively new. That's a big word like mayonnaise. Think quantity. So like I got a new car. It could be a 1978 model, but it's new to you. You know what I'm saying? So the idea is that, that quantitatively new means just another in the order. He doesn't say that he made you quantitatively new. He used the other word. And the other word is qualitatively new, Right? So the idea is that when you were born again, a creature came into existence unlike any other creature that has ever existed on planet earth. Because you take your individual uniqueness and combine it with being born a second time from the incorruptible seed of God's word, we now have a being unlike any other that has ever lived on planet earth. It's Christ in you. See, Christ in you is still Christ in you, but Christ in me is still Christ in me. And Christ in you and Christ in me because my born-again spirit and the spirit of Jesus have become one spirit and your born-again spirit and the spirit of Jesus have become one spirit. Now, we're all reflecting Jesus in a different way through our individual uniqueness, giftings, and personalities. And Father is fired up about it if you're wondering. Amen. Yes. I didn't mean to say that so loud. Yes. Amen. Because the first fruit is the favorite. Okay, funny story, true story. My dad planted pecan trees in our front yard. Three pecan trees. And, of course, you know, he bought like little ones. And if you know anything about pecan trees, it, we're talking about decades, right, before there's going to be a pecan. And so I'll never forget the first year, the biggest of the trees, it had, I may be telling the story wrong, but not many pecans, like maybe five, okay? And so we were heading out to church on a Sunday morning. Nobody in here is a policeman or anything, are they? Okay, all right, so we were heading out to church on a, <laughs> we were heading out to church, let me pause the recording. No, I'm kidding. We were heading out to church on a Sunday morning, 
And as we were backing out of the driveway, you know, he's like watching these pecans because, you know, they got that big green thing on them and all that stuff. So they're not ready yet, but he's so excited. Because, again, it's not just that these are the first fruits, the first ones that he's been waiting on and waiting on and waiting on and waiting on, right? But also, pecans can be very little. Pecans can be very big. Pecans can have thin shell. Pecans can have thick shell. In other words, a big pecan with a thin shell is money. A little pecan with a thick shell is almost, you know, not just a cut above an acorn, right? Okay, so he's not just, his first fruits, he's waited on them. So we're, we're leaving for church, and um, squirrels are getting like three of his five pecans. Oh, so thorn in my dear dad's flesh, right? So we go to church, we come home from church, and when we come home from church, the squirrels are back up the tree, and they're getting the last two. Now, my dad was an expert marksman. He's a Marine. I am not kidding you. He came out on the front porch with a 22 revolver and shot the squirrel running. I am not kidding you. He shot the squirrel with the pistol running and went and pried the pecan out of the dead squirrel's mouth. I, I am telling you the truth. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Right, only maybe Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama, but not just the South, sister, but anyway, maybe Texas. All right, okay. So, first fruits, right? They're, they're symbolic, they're precious, and they're, and they're also a sign of all the other fruit that is to come. The, the squirrel? The pistol? No, I knew what you meant. The pecan. All right, amen, I have to ask him that. No, he doesn't, because he waited, you know, he wanted to see it and all that. So anyway, praise God. Oh, how I wish Brenda heard you ask that question. She would be laughing. So, Brenda's my mother, by the way. She would be, uh, she would be laughing, 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 laughing. Okay. So, uh, yeah, anyway, praise God. Um, <laughs> all right, so i got to watch my stories here. So, we are unlike any other creature. When Paul was talking to the Corinthians, he was explaining to them that they were still carnal when they should be spiritual. And so the idea behind someone who is yet carnal is how it reads in the Scriptures, is that this is someone who has been born again, but still thinks for the most part like someone who is not. So they are fleshly, carnal flesh, they are fleshly minded. And so because they are fleshly minded, that's affecting their behavior. In other words, carnal behavior is a result of carnal thinking. Now these people, it's not that they weren't saved. Are you hearing what I'm saying? These are born again folks. But they're struggling with issues in their flesh, in their behavior, because they still think carnally as opposed to their minds being renewed or reconditioned to their born again spirit so that they could behave spiritually or righteously. So, the other context there then is that someone who is spiritual, someone who is spiritual is not someone who goes to church more than you, okay? Someone who is spiritual is not someone who quotes more Bible verses than you. Someone who is spiritual is someone whose mind is being renewed and reconditioned to think in alignment with, in agreement with, the born-again spirit that already resides within them because they have received salvation. Are you following me now? This is, this is important, okay? So he goes on to say, he says, you are yet carnal, and you are behaving like mere men. Now think about it. I'm, we'll teach on this later, but I'm just trying to show you. Behaving like 
mere men. See, how many times we say, now ladies, you may not say this, but you know, there's, I think you'll at least understand the euphemism, right? Well, he puts his pants on one leg at a time, just like you and me, right? In other words, what is he saying? That we're all the same. That we're all the same. Well, not according to God. You're not the same as someone who has not yet been born again. Someone who has not yet been born again has an excuse for living like a mere man or a mere woman. But you are not a mere man. You are not a mere woman anymore. You have been brought forth by the word of His truth. And now you are a first fruits of His creation. Unlike anything or anyone who has ever existed on planet earth before. Praise God. Alright, now, let's do this. Thank you, Jesus. Um, praise God. Let's go to Galatians. Thank you, Lord. Any, 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 uh, everybody good on that? Get anything out of this? Alright, amen. Two of you are. That's encouraging. Okay. <laughs> okay, so... Um, I mentioned Hebrews, we're not going to turn there, but let me just refresh you on Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews, in an effort, now again, this is introducing to you this segment on the power of seed. The writer of Hebrews, in an effort to establish the supremacy of Jesus as our high priest. High priest is the one who represents you and me before God the Father. And Jesus is our high priest. Okay? Now this confused a lot of Jewish Hebrew people because all they understood about the priest that was to come called the Messiah is they believed he would be from the Levitical priesthood. And never mind the prophecies talked about the line from the tribe of Judah. Levi was a man who had a family, one of the twelve tribes. Okay? And all of his descendants became the priests for Israel. There was another tribe named Judah. Okay? Jesus was not a descendant of Levi. He was a descendant of Judah. This confused people because they felt like if he was going to be a priest, he should have been born from one of Levi's families instead of one of Judah's family. Are you following me now? Okay. So the writer of Hebrews is trying to explain and clear up this confusion. And what he says, of course, is that Jesus is not from the Levitical priesthood, Levi Levitical, but he's from the priestly order of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek was a pre-flesh form of Jesus that came to Abraham after a great battle and victory. And the Bible says that Abraham paid tithes, gave a tenth of all, to Melchizedek. All right? Now, the writer of Hebrews says, this is proof that the, that the priesthood of Melchizedek, you follow me? I know this, I probably need to draw this, right? That the priesthood of Melchizedek is greater than Levi because, now here's the money, right? Here's, here's what he's getting to. Because Levi paid tithes to Melchizedek. And you're thinking, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. How in the world did he pay tithes to Melchizedek? Because he didn't come along until long after the days of Melchizedek, you know, on earth, you know, had ended. Well, the answer is very simple. The Bible makes it like, and this is what, again, back to God's perspective versus ours. See, for us, we're like, oh, man, you're trying to stretch that to fit there, whoever wrote Hebrew, Mr. Writer of Hebrews, Miss Writer of Hebrews, right? You're just trying, no, no, see, they understood seed. They understood these things. So he said, I'll tell you exactly when he paid tithes. He paid them when Abraham paid them because Levi was in the loins. He was inside of Abraham in seed form. So when he paid the... Um, when he paid the... Uh, hallelujah. 
baptized. Thank you, whoever's helping me. But um, that was my daughter giving me thumbs up. My darling bride had to have a root canal a while ago, so she was letting me know. 